without further ado, let's get into our passage for this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at James chapter 1, so I want you to turn with me there. Powerful passage uh, dealing with our emotions. Dealing with, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about, are our emotions sinful? Because typically in churches, uh, there's two things that happens when somebody goes through a deep emotional time. One is people say, well, just snap out of it. You know, you just need to get better. You need to just get up and, and, and get off your duff and go do something or whatever. And you're like, well, I can't just snap out of it. I personally went through a five-year depression, and I couldn't just snap myself out of it as much as I wanted to. It didn't just happen. It was something that, that God did through a process that I began to, to follow, and, and God began to use that in my life. And you'll hear me share some of that throughout this message, because I think it's important. And so one thing is, is we can't just snap out of it. So church, don't tell people just snap out of it. It's more complicated than that. And we're going to see a little bit of that as well. The second thing is, is your emotions aren't necessarily sinful. I think some may be. Lust, it's hard to kind of separate that from sinfulness. But there are other things where you just kind of wake up, you know, kind of grouchy, kind of grumpy in the morning. And, and you're just kind of, you know... Is that sin that you just wake up that way? I mean, you didn't do anything, right? I mean, I know that there's times where it's, people have asked my wife uh, and said, uh, you know, do you ever wake up grumpy in the morning? She says, no, I usually let him sleep. Um, <laughs> and so we, we, you know, our moods aren't necessarily sin. It's how we respond after that. If I'm grumpy and then I'm treating people poorly, well, then I've crossed a barrier. And in fact, that's where James begins to talk about here in James chapter 1, verses 13 uh, and following. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. We'll get back to this issue here in a minute. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there's a process that we see. And this process is this one. That, uh, Paul, I mean, uh, that James talks about desire. This idea of desire. And notice some versions. Uh, how many of you have the NIV here this morning? Uh, some of you have the NIV. It will say evil desire. The word evil is actually not in the original Greek text. Only the word desire is. The translators have added evil because they're trying to figure it out. But I think that that's a mistake. I think he's simply talking about desire, about our passions. And our passions are not necessarily evil in and of themselves. And so we, we have to make that separation. But he says this desire can lead to sin. So there's a gap in there between the two. It's one of the reasons I picked this passage because he's talking about the fact that you can have desire and then, the, then it, there's how we respond may lead to sin and then that sin leads to death and he's primarily talking about spiritual death, separation from God. And in fact, that's what, when Jesus died on the cross, he took care of this sin issue so that we're no longer separated from God, but that we have a relationship with our heavenly father. And James talks about that. He goes on in verse uh, 18. He says, he chose to give us birth. And notice you think, wait a minute, I just saw that word birth earlier in verse 15. Then the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and death. And what is he talking about here? Birth through the word of truth. And so you have life through truth and you have death through sin. And our emotions lead in either this direction or they lead us 
to life, that we begin to embrace, or we, we embrace faith in Jesus Christ. He's given the gospel right there. And so he says, that's what's going on. And the emotions are a part of it. You see, when we come to our emotions, we get very confused. Aristotle said that uh, it's easier to hit the target if you can see it. And you go, duh. You know, I mean, obviously, if there's a target over on that wall and I'm, I'm going to, you know, have bow and arrow and I'm going to, you know, of course, I got to be able to aim the thing and, and all that. But it's easier to hit the target. If I'm doing this number and I'm trying to do it this way, it's a lot harder to hit the target, right? What I find in our lives is we have multiple targets and they're overlapping. And sometimes we can't see them and people will come into my office and they say, and they're upset at each other, husband and wife or or friends, or or they come in and they're mad at somebody else or they're struggling in life. and And what I realize is they can't simply see the target. And so I help them to see the target. And when you come to emotions, you will see it's a very complex layering all in our lives. And we have a hard time figuring out what the solution is because we don't really honestly know exactly what the problem is. And so this morning, as we get into this, I'm going to take some time to exegete us as well as this passage before us because we need to think about what are we applying this passage to and how are we understanding it because it's such a complex issue. Uh, And it's so complex. I'm going to start with some, some things that I think are helpful for all of us for our mental wellness, our mental health. Uh, And, and so uh, one of those is we need to, uh, and I'm, I'm putting the application right up front, some of the application right up front. Time demands in our life can cause stress, right? You have competing time demands, family, work, uh, uh, yoga class, you know, all the different things that you add, right? And you look at that and you realize, what do I need to do to solve time demand issues? Well, I just need to get rid of something. Kind of a simple solution. I can't get rid of kids. I'm just saying that right up front. (laughs) But you want to get rid of some things in your life. I recently got rid of something a PhD studies, right? And that immediately took some stress off of my life and it felt pretty good. So I got rid of a couple more things. I got rid of building a greenhouse. I know it sounds like a simple, stupid thing. I had been thinking about a greenhouse for years. I finally found a place in town that was getting rid of their greenhouses. And I said, hey, uh, what do you, you know, I, I'm a salvage hound and, you know, there's two things you need to know. I can train you all quickly. Uh, and that is, what are you going to do with that? Can I have it? I mean, no, you're trained, right? <laughs> so that's what I did. And, that, and I got all these parts of this greenhouse and I have them lay it out on my property. And, and my wife asked me a simple question. She said, do you really like gardening all that much? To where you're going to do seeds and plants and all that? And I went, you know, I'm not. And so I got rid of it, you know? That was easy. All of a sudden, I took a building stress off of me. I took a whatever I was going to do with the place stress off of me. I did that with the mowing of my yard, too. That felt really good. You know, I I hired somebody to mow my place. And I thought, man, as I watched them mow, I think, man, this feels really good. You know? (laughs) Yeah, you got to pay for it. But, I mean, and 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 I took three things off my plate uh, just in a, in a short, about a month period. And what I realized is something that I realized when I went through that depression for five years. 
One of the things I sat down and did to counsel myself was, what are things that I can cut out of my schedule? This is something that all of us needs to embrace. I don't care where you are on the emotional spectrum. We could all cut stuff out and it builds margins into your life. You know what I did yesterday morning? I woke up and I got a cup of coffee and I sat outside and I had no agenda for the very first, you know, 10 minutes, just 10 minutes or five minutes. And I just sat there and my dog runs around, the sun's just coming up and I'm just sitting there and I'm just drinking coffee. And I'm going, man, this feels good. And I just be, I'm not picking up my phone. I think so many times we pick up our phone, we start, met, no, put it down, just be. I, we don't know how to be. We, we, we feel like we ought to be doing something. No, just be. Just sit there and enjoy the moment. Talk to God and say, God, what a beautiful sunrise. And wow, those birds sound wonderful. And man, it's just great to be alive. And you just, it just is so restorative to your soul. We all need that. We all need margins in our lives. Relationships, we need those. I know when I went through the five-year depression, my feeling was to pull away, to be isolated, to be by myself. And yet I made myself go to places and be around people. And what I found was it was very restorative to me. And yeah, relationships can be where some of the problems lie. Uh, some people have social anxiety, about uh, 7% of people in the U.S. population. So about one in 10, if you look around a crowd, uh, 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 struggle with uh, social anxiety. 12% uh, experience it at some point in their life. Uh, exercise. Have an exercise routine. Part For me, I, I struggle with exercise. You know, I run on the treadmill for an hour and then I look down and only five minutes have passed. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you know, beat me with a stick, but don't make me do that. But I can go outside and beat on a stump. I, I, cut, I cut out, you want, you want some exercise? Come out. You can help me cut out stumps out of my property. And uh, I took out two yesterday and I worked on a third one and, and it didn't want to come out. So I just left it. You know, usually I go, I'm getting this stump out before I leave. No, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you later, buddy. You're not going to beat me. You know? And it's just, it's so therapeutic. You're using a sledgehammer and beating on a stump and an axe and, you know, cutting. And I mean, it's just, you're using all it. And I can work till I, till I'm, I, I need to stop. We need exercise. It kicks in the natural endorphins our body needs. So I think so many times we run to other things. We run to alcohol to, to feel good. Because after all, one of the things that we're looking for is just to feel good. We have pain in our life. We're looking to feel good. And so we, we pursue other things. And it's like we pursue things that aren't necessarily healthy for us. And all we need is just some exercise. All we need is just some laughter. Uh, I love to be around friends and just laugh. I love to, to talk about old stories of things that happen and just laugh. We just, laughter kicks in those natural endorphins as well. We don't do it enough of it. And if we laugh and, and we make that part of our times together, instead of getting together with people and talking about our problems, which we need those times too, we need to get together with those same people and just laugh together. And talk about life. One is just make a plan. I found that for me, I don't feel as much energy or strength by telling somebody what I'm struggling with as I, am, as I do from just sitting down and saying, okay, what am I going to do about it? What's the plan? And I start moving in that direction. And for me, that helps. For not everybody does that. But make plans in your life about things that have just kind of been hanging over your head. And then another one is just let the emotions happen. It's one of the things that I tell people when they're going through grief. I say, just let the emotions happen. We try to control our grief. 
when we've gone through a very painful, we try to control this grief and we think, well, I should be over this by now. Why? Who says that? Who says that you need to be over it by now? Or we, or we feel like that, that uh, uh, we, we need to be strong for everybody else. Well, that's okay at certain points, but you got to let yourself cry when you need to cry and laugh when you need to laugh and, and feel the emotions that you feel. It's like water that's just unsettled and it needs to settle. It needs to find its own balance. And, and there's times where you've got to just let the emotions occur. It's one of the reasons why I, I did my mom and dad's funeral. I knew I was going to cry. I knew that I was going to struggle through and muddle through some of it. But I thought, you know, it's, it's healthy. And, I, and I'm just going to press through and I'm not going to avoid my emotions. And so we need to allow the emotions and stop trying to control our grief at those moments when, we're, when we have great sadness. Our emotions, we need to get a grip on them. We need to understand them. Why? Because they can destroy us. I know Jared Wilson, who was a pastor and author, a mental health advocate, actually. He and his wife started a, a, an organization called Anthem of Hope. He committed suicide this week. Here was a guy that was, was dealing with depression, and he was somebody that was trying to help other people with depression, but he was struggling with this himself. Sometimes it's overwhelming. And so we think there's too much at stake here. Here he was a father. He was a husband. He was 30 years old. He had his whole life ahead of him. And you think, wow. Here's a guy in the church, a pastor, should have had the answers, right? That's what we think. We don't realize how powerful emotions are and how they can impact us. And so we need to understand them. And we need to understand so that we can get some insights on how to deal with them when we have them. Uh, there are a number of uh, theories that go around about what causes our emotions. Uh, this is kind of a goofy uh, little slide here that I found. Uh, but it hit three different areas, uh, three categories of emotion, what causes it, at least in the minds of, of many uh, that do research in this area. One is, is that it's physiological. And you shows a picture of a guy smelling, but I guess that's supposed to be a flower. It looks kind of wilted to me. Uh, but he's smelling this flower and, and it's making his heart, you know, race. And so they're saying, well, it's physiological. But those in the cognitive area, they would say, no, wait a minute. The thing that's making his heart race is because he's thinking about someone. And that same heart racing could be that you're getting ready for a math test. And so it's anxiety and fear rather than joy. And so you got to have the cognitive and that comes first. And then there are others that say, no, it's just uh, stuff going on in the brain that we can't control. That's why you have certain moods. Uh, it can be hormonal. It can be other. Uh, uh, you can be low on, on certain chemicals in the brain, dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin. Uh, maybe you need uh, 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 something else. And so uh, you find that, that it's that. And so there's those debates going on. Uh, in fact, there were six different ones that I read about. Uh, that uh, were categorized into these three areas. Uh, I won't bore you with them, but they are the basically Cannon-Bard theory and the emotion or evolutionary theory, the Schlachter-Singer theory. Say that three times really fast. Uh, cognitive appraisal, fa facial feedback. That one says that uh, we go into a situation and, and we smile instead of frowning and, and we'll have a better time. And I mean, it's just all these different possible causes and because there's so many different potential for cause, it means that one size doesn't fit all. One solution doesn't fit all. And, and when, we are, when our emotions are off, they can create mental illnesses, uh, anxiety disorders where there's fear and dread, anxiety, panic, rapid heartbeat, sweating. 
uh, mood disorders where we have persistent feelings of sadness or overly happy, psychotic disorders where there's even hallucinations and hearing voices, eating disorders, anorexia and bulimia, uh, impulse control where you're unable to resist impulses or urges, uh, especially when chocolate's being passed around, right? Personality disorders where there's causes problems at work, school, or social relationships where you have obsessive compulsive or paranoia. You have uh, post-traumatic stress disorder as, a, as a, something that can happen after a terrifying event. And you can imagine people in, in Odessa and, and El Paso and so many other places in our country that are going through PTSD may not even be aware that they're dealing with it. Stress response syndromes where um, there's a uh, huge catastrophic event in your life. Disassociative disorders where there's changes of memory and consciousness. Uh, factitious disorders and the list goes on. And you think, wow, so many targets, so many different possible causes. You've got at least three listed here and six potential that, that, uh, that they have. And you think well, there's also the physical uh, you have these chemicals in your brain, and this one is just uh, dopamine pathways in the brain. What I was looking for when I found this picture was I was looking for what are, what are the pleasure centers of the brain that are impacted, that impact our emotions, because all of a sudden you have these chemical things going on in your head. And dopamine is apparently one of the things that is created under this place called VTA. I, I, I don't even remember what that stands for, but VTA, just stick with that. And, it, and it's created here. It's pushed to this area called the nucleus accumbens. And how they know that that happens, I'm not sure. I guess they just process this chemical and see where it goes. And so it goes into this. This was known for a long time as the pleasure center of the brain. Now they say, well, no, it's this whole limbic center right here, the center part of the brain. And then others will say, well, no, it's in the frontal cortex. And you can see why that would be because dopamine goes up there as well. Some would say it's a short-term memory because now you, the hippocampus is involved. And, and then when I saw other pictures, it had stuff all over the place. And the bottom line, as I figured out, is they don't have a clue. I mean, everybody's trying to figure possible causes and they're trying to figure, uh, uh, you know, the, where the pleasure center is and, they, and they've had experiments after experiment and the bottom line is they don't really know. This deal of, 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 uh, uh, of emotion is a very, very and highly complex thing and you can understand that God created us in an incredible way. And so the question I asked when I was looking at this is what happens is when we reward ourselves, we, it hits the pleasure center of our brain. It's one of the reasons why addictions occur. Why people get addicted to certain drugs or alcohol or other things is because they're looking for that pleasure center. It's chocolate, it's, it's whatever. We become addicted to what we begin to think is going to solve these issues for us. And so we do these different things in order to get that feeling good. Why? Because we feel pain. And in fact, that's what James is talking about before he starts talking about this idea of the emotions and how they lead to sin and to death. Notice at the very beginning of the chapter in verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Oh, trials. Trials means hard, right? Trials means pain. Trials means testing. Who's being tested here? Well, it's not God. God already knows what we're like. So I'm being tested 
for me so that I will know what I'm like and I will know that I'm sinful and broken and I need the Lord. But it's also so that I can learn to trust in the Lord and feel confident the next time trials come. That's why he says in verse 5, or in fact he says in verse 3, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, so it strengthens me. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom in regard to this pain, in regard to what to do about it, in regard to these emotions, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. How do we find that wisdom? We ask God for it, and then we begin to talk to God's people about it because Proverbs says in a multitude of counselors there is wisdom. The wisdom of God that we ask for here in part comes from the body of Christ, the community of believers. As we invest in one another's lives, as we become a sounding board, and that we're not giving the pat answer, we're not giving the simple answer, we're not giving just some answer that that helped us. Uh, We're listening and we're saying, here's some things that helps. It may not be the thing that finally settles it for you. And it's in that context that he says in verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. Why does he start talking about that all of a sudden? Because when we go through pain, when we go through testing, when we go through trials, one of the questions that we ask is, God, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why aren't you doing something about it? What we're doing is... Blaming God, right? I think that's why he starts talking about that. We start blaming God. God, you're the reason. You're at fault. You could have spared me this. And God's going, no, this is for your best. This is for your good. Because you'll never learn endurance any other way. You'll never learn confidence in who God is and who, what he can do in your life. Except that you go through the hard things. Because when you go through the hard things, when the easier things come along, you go, oh, I got this. Because I know how to trust the Lord in difficulty and in, and in hard. And so we shouldn't say, the, the last thing on our lips should be, God is doing this. God is tempting me. He says, for God cannot be tempted by evil. The word tempted uh, or God cannot be tempted is simply a negation of the word temptation. It's like the word theist and then you add atheist. You just add a little letter A. In the Greek, that's, that's what they do to negate something. They just put that word A in there. And so it's basically saying, when I am tempted, I can't say God is the one doing it because he is the untemptable one. He is the one who is unable to be tempted. He is not able to to be involved in evil. He's not going to be dragged into that. That's not something that's part of who he is. And so when we understand that, we understand that we have a God who is untemptable, who is not tempting me. It's not him who is doing it. And in fact, that's why he says in verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Our God does not change. He does not become different. He is there for us. He says, I will never leave you or ever forsake you. And he means it and it will happen and it is true and it is true right now. He was here, right here in our midst. He is here in your darkest moment when you think you're alone. He is there with you. And just like we sang about, he's waiting for you 
with open arms. He wants you to come back to him. And we may push him away like a little child who is in pain and saying, no, I don't want your comfort. I don't want your help. And he's got his arms wide open. He's wanting us to come to his altar, to come to him, to come into his presence. Because that's where goodness comes from. He is the all good one. He is the one in whom there is no evil. And he wants to give us good gifts. And some of those good gifts comes by means of pain. Comes by means of the difficulties that we face. Comes by means of the emotions that we feel in those painful events in our lives. And we need him. Because at those moments we come to a crisis of faith. Just like he talks about in verse five or verse six, he says, when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Why is he talk about that? Because we've come to a crisis of faith. We come to a crisis of faith at those moments. We come to a crisis of meaning, a crisis of life. Am I really supposed to do this? Is this what this is all about? Is this all life is? All those questions that come and we ha- what ultimately we have is a loss of hope. And if you want to give one thing to a person who's struggling emotionally, be hope for them. Because they are hopeless at that moment. And they may turn away your your comments of hope that we're going to get through this. No, I'm not. God is here. I don't care. I mean, whatever they say, you are a purveyor of hope. One of the biggest things that you bring to them is hope. It's one of the things that we sing about on, on these songs. We're singing songs of hope. We're singing songs of belief and trust. And it's exactly what he says here in, in, uh, in verse 18. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. We need to hear truth at those moments that our minds are telling us doubtful things. God doesn't care about me. Yes, he does. He, he, he gives me bad things. No, he doesn't. He's tempting me. No, he's not. It's like we got to talk ourselves out of those moments of doubt, out of those moments and those struggles. And that's why I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says that though we walk by the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Which strongholds? Those of our doubts. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. How do we do that? How do we take thoughts captive? We sing together. Uh, One of the things that I love the, the most about singing together with you guys is we sing. We sing together. And sometimes I love just not singing and listening to you guys sing. It ministers to my soul and my spirit. It did this morning. As we sing together, as we proclaim his truth about who our God is, and that we reason ourselves out of those moments of doubt, as we trust the Lord to strengthen us, and and for those around us, as we ask for their counsel to, to give us words of truth, and instead of pushing them away, that we embrace them. I'm so glad that I listened to people on the PhD thing because I realized that it was putting stress on my life It was putting stress on our church's life. It was putting stress on my home life. And I didn't see all of that. And people began to say, you know, we're a little concerned about you. I'm glad I listened. Would I have been one of those guys that crashed a few months from now? I don't know. But I know I needed to hear wisdom from God through you. 
You need to hear wisdom from God, from those around you, even if it's not what you exactly want to hear. That we need one another. We need the strengthening that, that each other brings that can only come from the body of Christ as we speak truth. Because as I did all the research, one of the things that I noticed is people talked about the physical aspects and they talked about the mental aspects and they talked about the emotional aspects. Nobody was talking about all the research about the spiritual aspects. And yet that's a huge part of our lives. Uh, uh, it's a huge part of everybody's life because we're all spiritual beings. God made us as spiritual beings, not just physical. And as believers in Christ, we have the opportunity to address that. And we address it by choosing to believe the word of truth over the doubts that are shouting at us so loudly. It's why I love singing the word of God. Many of those, those things that we sing, I can think of passages. Oh, that's from this passage and that's from that passage in scripture. And we're singing scripture back to God. We're singing God's truth back to him. And yeah, uh, some of the songwriters use some creative flowery language, but you be, begin to sing the truths of scripture back to God. And at first you come in and maybe you're, dra you're dragging and you're struggling. And, and as you sing God's word and you sing his truth back to him, as you speak his word back to him, in fact, I would encourage you, take the word of God, take a psalm, and just pray it back to God exactly like it is and just stick your name in there. God, I'm struggling with this. Just like the, the psalm writer did, David did, Asaph did, Moses did, and, and begin to speak in your prayer God's truth back to him. And you find strength because it's based in him. It's based in his person. It's based in the gospel of Jesus Christ that he loved you, that he died for you so that forgiveness could happen so that you don't have uh, uh, go from sin to death, but sin uh, is taken care of and it goes, we go to life because of Jesus Christ and that we can run to him at no matter what happens, that we can bring and cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And if there's something that we need to confess, we confess it to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John tells us this. I love the song, I believe. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in God three in one. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the resurrection. When you, we, we begin to, to think about the things that I believe, and I, I raise my hand at those moments, not in, in a sense of uh, I'm worshiping and I'm, I'm connecting with God. I raise my hand because I want, I want people to know this is what I believe. I believe these things. They are true. They're not just truths that are nice to know and ethereal and, and mean nothing to my life. No, they mean something to me. They mean the world to me. They mean they mean freedom to me. They mean life to me. These are not idle words that God spoke to us. They are our life. And when we're struggling in those throes of emotion and the struggles of trials and the pain of our lives, we come back to the truths of who God is. And they may not solve it all for us. But they will begin us down a path of seeing what the truth is. And as we counsel with and, and ask for God's wisdom, he begins to separate those targets. We begin to see what some of those targets are and we address those and maybe we've got a lot of them in our lives and we do. But God 
loves you and me. He cares about our emotional life as well. And he doesn't roll his eyes and go, oh, here I go again. They've got this emotion going. He's grumpy this morning, you know, gloomy this morning. Uh, He's supposed to have joy. He's sorrowful. No, he doesn't do that. He just takes us out to himself and he embraces us. But we need to have time to listen. I would encourage you to build into your life those five-minute times, 10-minute times, where you just stop and be. You put the cell phone down. You put the technology down. You put any kind of agenda down for that time. You can have your quiet time a little later. Take that time just to rest. We try to numb pain. We need time to rest. And just listen to what God's doing. And talk to Him. And begin to look to Him for wisdom to to sort it all out. And to begin to take steps. And as the body of Christ that we embrace one another. That this is a safe place where you can come and and you can struggle with uh, along with the rest of us. And that we love you. And that we give solutions if we can. But we know not every one size fits all. You say, well, here's some things that help me. Maybe they'll help you. And whether they do or not, I'm here for you. And we bring meals to one another. And we watch the kids for one another. Maybe mow each other's yard or whatever. And we just love on each other. And as we do, we take this journey of faith together. Because that's, after all, what it is. A journey of faith. That we trust the Lord as we're stepping through these emotional minefields of life. And we trust God to bring healing in the midst of it all. Father, we come to you. And we thank you that you have made us as emotional beings. It's why we are able to experience love and joy. We wish we didn't have all these other emotions And yet you've created those two in our lives. And so, Lord, we come to you and we bring our whole self to you, not just our our nice, good-looking self, but our ugly, struggling self to you as well. Because we need you. Lord, we come before this body of believers and pray, thank you for the giftedness of, of each person here and how we can help one another and serve one another and love on one another and care for each other. Help us to do that well. Help us to be a place where where people would look and say, oh, how they love one another. I pray that that would be the story of our church family, that we care and love and reach out and that we don't suffer silently. Help us as those who may suffer. Lord, help us to speak up about that as well so that we can encourage and love and Be there for one another. Father, we pray. I pray right now for those who are going through pain. And I know it's not an easy thing. I know that it's incredibly difficult. And solutions may be hard to find. And solutions may be a little longer in coming. But Lord, I pray that you would help each person who's suffering to take the journey of faith each day and trust you and be, allow you to love them. Allow you to love them through the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that they would find hope and comfort and healing in their lives. Lord, I ask for that. 
And I ask that you would just work in and through us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you that Jesus died on a cross for us. Thank you that we can trust in you. Thank you that you bring truth and you are truth and you are good and you are goodness itself. And Lord, you bring good things into our lives. Help us to just embrace you and weep and cry out to you. Lord, help us to, I do pray that you would replace our sorrow with your joy and that it be done in your timing and in your way and not artificially done. Lord, we love you, we worship you, we praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen.